The Apostle Paul is primarily the person we've been tracking with. He's a guy who was uh, killing Christians. He was a terrorist. And he would have Christians go into churches like this, and he would have the Christians arrested, and he would take them uh, to prison, and they'd be eaten by lions, or they'd be pulled apart, they'd be tortured, they'd be brutally murdered. Um, and then Jesus, the resurrected Christ, after Jesus died, rose from the dead, he appears to Saul, and he um, invites him to have a different life. And Saul gave his life to Jesus and became Paul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. They're letters that he wrote back to the churches that he's established. So he would travel the world, he would meet strangers in the marketplace, invite them to, uh, to receive Christ, they'd receive Jesus, and a church is born. Then he would travel other places, and while he was in prison for being a Christian, he wrote most of the letters that you read in the New Testament. Those are letters written back to the churches. One of them is the church at Ephesus. So he has spent three years at this particular church teaching them, loving them, shepherding them, and he's about to leave. He's going to go to Jerusalem, where we learned last week that prophecies, every city he went to, the people would prophesy, meaning they were, the Holy Spirit would speak through them a current message that you're going, to be, you're going to be persecuted and punished and suffer if you go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, I'm not willing only to suffer for Jesus. I'm willing to die for him so that people can hear the good news of salvation and forgiveness of sins through Jesus. So he goes to Jerusalem. He is, uh, he is beaten. And, but then he says, I'm ready to go to Rome. I want, to, I want to go to Caesar. And so they allowed him, therefore, to go to Caesar and preach the gospel in Rome, which is where he was martyred. So he's about to leave Ephesus, which was one of the most powerful churches in the world. And there's a reason for it, and that's what I want to lean on today and apply it to us. How can we be the most powerful church we could possibly be? How can we, us here at the Gathering Place Church, Live a life, live a church life in the way that Jesus designed us to be. Wouldn't you like that? Would you like to be in a church designed the way that we created or the way that Jesus designed it to be? Which one do you want to be a part of? Yeah, let's go with Jesus. So let's, let's look at the Apostle Paul as he's writing to this, uh, well, he's not writing to the church. He is with the church for his last time. After he leaves when he's in prison, then he writes the book of Ephesians, which is a letter, an Ephesians letter back to this church that he's with in Acts chapter 20. So he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Now, the word church is not a word that Jesus made up. In secular Greek, church means the assembly of citizens. So in Rome, if the Roman citizens are gathering together, that's called the Church of Rome in secular Greek, or the Church in Ephesus in secular. So what they would do is these assemblies of citizens would come together to establish policy for their community. Well, Jesus' church is the assembly of heavenly citizens on earth. And we come together to establish the kingdom of God in our lives. So did you know that the second you give your life to Jesus Christ, you turn your life over to him, your sins are completely forgiven because of what he did on the cross for you and I. God will never bring them up to you again. Then he breathes his spirit into you and you become a son or a daughter of God instantaneously. It's a miracle. Church attendance does not make you a Christian. You can sit in your 
garage at home, but it doesn't make you a car if you just sit there. You can even say, I'm a car, I'm a car, I'm a car. You'll never become a car. You can come to church, but it doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean you're born again. You have to personally give your life to Christ. He will freely receive anybody who comes to him, and he will completely forgive you of all your sins. Then he will breathe his spirit into you, and you will be what Jesus calls born again or born spiritually. It's a miracle. Once you do that, you literally become a citizen of heaven. The Bible says this, that you are a citizen of heaven, a legal citizen of heaven. That's your home. You're going to be going there when you die, once you give your life to Christ. Don't even have to stop. You don't have to go past go and collect 200 or nothing. You just go straight there. But while you're living in the earth, that means you are a citizen of heaven living as a foreigner, the Bible says, in San Diego County or wherever you might live. And when we gather together like this, we are the church. This building is not the church. We are the church. Look, look to the person next to you and say, hey, you look good. So the church comes together. And now we pick it up in verse 28. I'm going to read 28 through 37, and then we're going to unpack this. Now, Paul, the apostle, is now talking to the elders, the leaders of the church. Therefore, verse 28, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We're going to look at the way the church is designed and the way Jesus is designed to work and why the Ephesians church was so powerful. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. What? Listen to this. This is one of the heaviest phrases in the entire Bible. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus purchased you with his blood. He purchased us with his blood. For I know this, Paul says, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified or set apart uh, or given their faith uh, to Christ. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that. These hands provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. In other words, I wasn't using you for your money. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. How do you view the church? What do you think about it? Is it, a, is it a good place or a bad place for you or an awesome place? 
I'm preaching. I'm preaching. I'm, I'm preaching. <laughs> you, you get to preach next week. Shut. Don't steal my thunder. Is the church a place of healing or hurt for you? That's the next point in my message. It's it's both right here. It says both. Stop. They're rhetorical. It's for you to think about. Jesus, these disciples that you have given to me. I have both. The church is a place of healing and hurt for me. As well as for you. Turn to the person next to you again and say, and it's because of you. Just go ahead, turn to them and say, because of you. The church can be a painful place. But it's also the vehicle that Jesus has chosen to bring healing and help and hope and salvation. So here's the real question. The real question for us, saints, is not how do you and I view the church, but how does Jesus view the church? I've learned over the years, over and over and over and over again, by not being on Jesus' page, whether it's in my marriage or my parenting or my finances or whatever it might be, I have found that the sooner I get on his page, the better it is for me (laughs) and for everybody around me, right? So the question today is how how does Jesus view his church? And it's very simple. Jesus loves his church. The church is the most valuable thing that he owns. He purchased the church with his blood. How many of you have something that's incredibly precious to you? Raise your hand. You got something that's really, really important to you, like my computer. Kids, don't touch it. Whenever I let them touch it and they play games on it, then all these viruses get in it and, it's, and then it's all screwed up, right? I hate that. That's, man, don't touch my computer. How many of you have something precious? Okay. And if somebody mishandles it, dishonors it, disrespects it, how do you feel? Okay, let me put it, let me put it in, uh, in, in real personal terms. Husbands, what if somebody talks smack about your bride? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I hope you packed your lunch because I'm going to beat you all day long. Or mamas, how many mamas we got in here? What if somebody mishandles one of your kids Woo, woo! oh man just thinking about that scares me <laughs> well the church is called the bride of christ Though the church can be a place of hurt at times, when it's working the way Jesus designed it, the church is the greatest force for good in the earth. It is the most loving and encouraging place on the planet. It is the hands and feet of Jesus. Even in the church's imperfect state, the church gives more, serves more, prays more, sacrifices more, strategizes more for the earth's good, encourages more, empowers more, and sends more people to do good in the earth than any other organization on the planet. 
Think about Renee Murdoch, who was here a couple weeks ago, who had 1% chance of living, and she'd be a vegetable if she did. And she stood right here in front of us, 100% preaching the goodness of God. And she said over and over and over and over and over again, even with all the medical help, which was incredibly limited, and even they were saying to, uh, you know, Philip Murdoch, her husband, you know, you're in denial. You need to be ready for your wife to die. You need to be ready. If she doesn't die, she's going to be in a vegetative state the rest of her life. I mean, thank God for doctors and nurses. Thank God for them. They are fighting for life. But we are limited as human beings. But God's not. And she said again and again and again, if it wasn't for the church, if it wasn't for the church, if it wasn't for the church, the church, the church that was lined up out the door, praying for me, praying for my family there for me, my wife and I, she just went through, we just went through the hardest year of our lives. And if it wasn't for you, I don't know where we would be. Your prayers, your money, people giving us money to pay uh, doctor bills. The food, I mean, please. I mean, at one point, I was like, stop. Would you stop? We have food coming out of our refrigerator doors. We have it flowing out of our, our, our extra freezer. We have food we can't, you know, we can't, we're just, it's going to go to waste. I mean, you guys, it was a wave. I don't know what people do without the church. A wave of prayer and provision and encouragement and help. And here we are on our feet. Hope just went back to her Ph.D. program just this week. And she has got the sexiest hair in the world. Thank you, devil. The church is the vehicle Jesus has chosen to show the depth of his love and goodness to the world and his authority to the devil. Look at this scripture in the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote back to this church. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. God's purpose. Everybody say purpose. Everything we do in the church has purpose. Worship has a purpose. Kirsten up here talking about what's going on in the the kingdom of God has purpose. Every dollar we give, every dollar you give into the offering is going out into the world with purpose. This preaching today has purpose. You being here today, you're here on purpose. So you can go out and be the salt and light of the world. The church is full of purpose. And God's purpose is that, is that watch, look at this passage, it's crazy. God's purpose in all this was to use the church, not the government. The church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Who's he talking about? The enemy. What, well, I mean, who's the enemy? Satan, the devil, demons, demonic powers and principalities that rule over every city. And I can prove this scripturally. They rule over every city. Either God and his angels are ruling over a city or Satan and his demonic forces are ruling over a city. That's why prayer is critical, because we're in a spiritual warfare. And so God uses the church to tear down 
demonic powers. Ellie and I cast a demon out of some lady that was bound up, been to psychologists, been to psychiatrists, been on medication, been through counseling. She, was a, uh, uh, she owned a string of restaurants in the city down in the Baja, and she was tormented sitting right there in church. Jesus gave me a vision of her in my prayer time that afternoon. I stood in front of the pulpit that night and said, this is what Jesus showed me. There's a lady here that, you're, you're, that you want to commit suicide. And she came down the aisle, slumped to the floor, and Ellie and I and Mario cast the devil out of her. She was completely set free. And she said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All weekend long, that's all she can do is just say thank you for her freedom. You see, the church is the only force on the planet that can undo the works of Satan. Because it's a spiritual battle. So, because of this, the devil is committed to destroying the church and there's two ways he does it the enemy attacks the church in these two ways one external forces like right now with isis and the second world war it was hitler in the first century it was nero and every secular government that has ever come along since the beginning of time uh the ultimate desire of satan through secularism and humanism is to destroy the church Because whether you and I know it or not, the devil knows it, that the church is his only demise. So external forces, and then through internal forces, which I think are worse than the external forces. The internal forces. Paul said it in this letter. He said the wolves will come in. And then he says, there will be, what's he say here? He says, um, and from among yourselves... Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. The enemy works overtime, family of God, to exploit our weaknesses like our jealousies and our pride and our fear and our distrust of authority and our critical spirit. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine? I mean, I'll be honest with you. If that video, video we watched, and if you're online listening, you have to look up Japanese boy couldn't jump over a wall or something. I forget what it was called. For you to understand what we're talking about right now. Could you imagine? I mean, in some churches, I have to be honest, I've been in them. So have you. And I'm not talking about ours because ours is perfect. But in, in some churches, when the preacher couldn't jump over the wall or the worship leader was having a hard time or somebody's marriage is falling apart or some teenagers walking in with purple hair and rings in their nose and their ears and in their nipples and, and you know, they got Satan tattooed on their chest or whatever. We're, you know, it's like, ah! You know, where would we be? Where would the church be? What would the church do? I wonder if we would just stand back and criticize while the person couldn't jump over the wall. The church is the only army on the planet that shoots its own. What got that kid over that wall? Encouragement. 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 Come with me. Encouragement. Encouragement. See how weak you are? See how weak the church is. Come on. Encouragement. 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 That's what every person on the planet needs is encouragement. And the church is supposed to be the most encouraging place on earth. Jesus is always working toward the unity and building up of the church. The enemy is always working towards the disunity and destruction of the church. How many of you remember Red Rover? Anybody over 50 knows what I'm talking about. Red Rover, you know what it is? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Okay, Red Rover. Really? 
Red Rover, Red Rover, send Mark right over, because that'll be an easy one. Here he comes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Shoot. Shoot. <laughs> Darn, well, where's the fun then? I mean, who took, who took fun out of this function? All right. Satan's always trying to, Satan's always sending people to try to break our unity. And many times it'll be you and me that he's using because of our own weaknesses. He can manipulate and use us if we allow him to. If we allow him to. You can't say the devil made me do it. No, no, no. He enticed you. He tempted you. He sowed critical thoughts into your head that you allowed to come out of your mouth to tear down a brother or sister or pastor. The devil can't make us do anything. Unless you aren't in Christ, then he can. He can manipulate you. But once you're in Christ Jesus, you have authority over him. So you can't blame anything on him. Aren't you glad you came today? So here Paul writes to the Ephesian church, this Ephesians, as he's in prison, writing back to these guys again, out of the book of Ephesians, he writes this. And this is critical. Make every effort. Everybody say, make every effort. And that literally in the Greek means strain every nerve to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Isn't that interesting? He says to keep it. Because here's the truth. We're going to read this. The next thing he says, we're going to read it in a second. But let me say this. As soon as you give your life to Jesus Christ and his spirit is breathed into your soul, you immediately become one with God, the Father, the the Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ globally. You become one immediately. You become part of the family of God. So then Satan begins to work on ripping us apart. So look what Paul says in this, in this um, passage, Ephesians 3, right next. He says, there is one body. Everybody, every time I say one, you shout out one. And don't be wimpy about it because Jesus is listening. Ready? There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you were called in hope when you were called. Lord, faith, baptism. God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. All y'all. So, how do we keep the unity? All right, here we go. You guys ready? Satan's trying to rip us apart. How do we stay one so that we can beat his brains out? Because this is why the Ephesian church was so powerful. They were unified. It was their unity. You see Paul calling for the elders of the church. You see them weeping over each other, praying with one another, loving one another. Satan hated the Ephesian church because they were so powerful, because they were so unified. The Holy Spirit flows through unity. Satan flows through disunity. He is destruction looking for something to destroy. Jesus is the healer looking for something to repair. So how do we keep the unity? The way I call it is attitude and aptitude. Attitude is who you are. Aptitude is your ability and what you're capable of doing. You're a human being, but you're also a human doing. You can't just sit around and say, oh, it's just me and Jesus, and I'm just going to float around and do nothing because he's busy. 
He says, I will build my, I will build my, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Jesus is busy building his church today. So it's not just a human being. It's also a human doing. We are both. Being is first, but doing comes out of your being. So your attitude and aptitude. Number one, now the same chapter that I'm reading out of, I'm going to continue to read out of this. You know what we just read, make every effort, strain every nerve to keep the unity? Right before he wrote that, he wrote this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, which is to say unified. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity, the spirit, and the bond of peace. So how do we keep the unity? Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. If somebody wasn't a a nunchuck, you wouldn't have to bear with them. You only have to bear with knuckleheads. But you got to bear with them. And guess what? We're all knuckleheads. In fact, if you don't think you are, you're the biggest knucklehead in the room. This is the encouraging church. And secondly, it's aptitude. The exact same letter. Next verse, he says, But to each of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the people for the works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. That's the whole purpose for the body of Christ to be built up. The church is designed to be the most powerful team on the earth. I mean, you look at a sports team. What causes a sports team to be so powerful? Their unity and their capability. Their attitude and their aptitude. You know, I was watching a documentary, and they were trying to figure out why this uh, front uh, offensive line was so protective of their quarterback. It was like like, uh, uh, the, the hallmark of what a front line should look like on a football team. And how they loved their quarterback. Don't touch my quarterback. You know why? He invited them over to his house and barbecued for them every week. He kept them well fed. Any coach will tell you, any team will tell you, the attitude in the locker room is critical. You've got to keep the locker room in peace and in unity. So when we go out into that field, our attitude will empower our aptitude. We will fight for each other because we got each other's back. That's why teams hate people in their locker room that are creating trouble and being prideful and not a team player because it, it weakens the team. Same thing in churches. Whenever you, don't have, you, whenever you and I don't have our attitude right in a church, you and I are weakening Jesus' church. And it's not easy. I have attitudes all the time that aren't Christ-like. And I've got to put them in check and get on Jesus' page. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Or are you always like Jesus? Every thought you have is flowing from the throne room of God. 
Does Jesus look at you and say, I am so impressed with that individual. I almost want to worship them instead of them worshiping me. So we continue in the same passage. Under Jesus' direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly and each part, everybody say each part. See, that's you. Mary was saying today in prayer before the church started, she was saying, she walked in just so fired up. She said, every single person matters to Jesus. There's nobody like me. Nobody has my personality. Nobody has my DNA. I am unique and every individual is unique in God. That's true. There's no one like you. There never ever will be anyone like you because God made you specific and unique. He's in love with you. That's why it says each part in its own special way helps the other parts so the whole body is healthy and grown and full of love. So the church is designed to be the most successful team on the earth because of the supernatural ability of God. And here's the two supernatural things that God injects into his church. Number one is the supernatural love. And the other is the supernatural gifts. Supernatural love. Like, I got to tell you a story. This isn't on you. It's on the nasty church I used to be at. Just kidding. Kidding. I was, I was a young pastor in my 20s. And, you know, it's easy to criticize the leader. And criticizing leadership is not good for you. It's not good for the leader. It's not good for anybody because it wears the leader down. When a leader's leading, it's like the, the head, uh, you know, goose. And the, and the little V they make, you know? You know the goose do behind the, the geese do behind the goose that's at the point? You know what they do? While they're flying? Honk, 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 honk. That's what they do. And it's not criticism. It's encouragement. I mean, that's, that's proven. That's what they're doing. They're encouraging their leader. And the leader feels that encouragement and the wind behind his back. And he's like, yeah, I got this. But what if they're nipping at him? Hang, hang, hang. You're flying slow. You're not flying straight. I can do better than you can. And he hears all this, right? It weakens and, and, and discourages and drains. So I was experiencing that. But it's just, it's, that's who we are. We're just fallen human beings, and that's the way we get sometimes. And so I was so mad at the, at the group that I was responsible for in this huge church out in East County that uh, I, 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 uh, I was in a really bad place. I wasn't on Jesus' page. And I didn't want to preach that night. It was a Friday night, and a bunch of young people were coming from around the city, and I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to help them. This is why I said to Jesus, I do not want to help your body anymore. You know, somebody called the way ambulance. So what, right? And so I went in, but I knew I had to preach. So I go into the sanctuary. I kneel down in front of the cross, and I said, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because I couldn't think of anything to preach because I honestly didn't want to come up with anything that was helpful. And the Lord said this to me. Preach on how beautiful my body is. That was really irritating of him to say that to me. And I said, I can't do that because I don't believe it. Remember how I told you that I'm honest with him? Because it's not like when you say something is when he found out about it. He already knows what's going on inside. And so I had to go home and eat dinner and then come back and preach that night. And I was so mad, I actually went home and kicked my dog. I walked in the door, and there's my dog greeting me, and I kicked it.
You've done worse. Maybe not to your dog, but somewhere, somehow. That was a long time ago. Now I'm a, now I'm a member of PETA. <laughs> Forgive and forget. And so, and so, I, I paced around my, my neighborhood. Just I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so it was time to go preach. And so I, I, I don't have any message. I don't have any scripture. I have no nothing. And I walk into the back of the, the back door of the door into the sanctuary, like the side door. I walked in, and there was all the people there. And all of a sudden, this wave of love hit me. And I was walking around hugging everybody, kissing them on the cheek, and just loving them. I got to preach. I had no notes. And it was the most powerful message I'd ever preached. I had scriptures flowing through me. I had revelation on the church. It was unbelievable. I walked out the door. It shuts. And I said to God, what was that? And he said, that was my love. Woohoo! Yeah, wasn't that awesome? I got goosed. I should have repeated that. Don't, don't feed me lines like that because I just might repeat them. And now this is going around the world. Great. Thank you. That comment is owned by Jerry DeMink. The devil does not want the church to be unified. So he'll do everything he do to... Um, to destroy it. So I'm going to get into this because we only have a few minutes left, so I've got to dig deep and fast. There are two key components to any team on the earth, and that's leadership and the body. You've got a coach and a team. You've got a parent. You've got children. You've got a boss. You have employees. You have a teacher. You have the student body, they call it. You have captains and a platoon. The church, as you can see here in the book of Ephesus, is called the elders in the flock. So I'm going to look at the attitude and the aptitude of both groups of people here very quickly. Um, I'm going to back up for a second. I'm going to back up for a second. I was going to skip a chunk, but the two chunks I have left to share with you today are both important. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I got to do this real quick. There's a philosophy in the body of Christ going around right now that you don't need to belong to a local church because you're part of the church worldwide, kind of global. Um, the truth is you belong to the global church, and Jesus wants you to belong to a local church. Jesus does. Remember, we're on his page, not our page. The word church is used 104 times in the New Testament. 98 times it's used about a local body of believers, just like Paul called the elders of the church at Ephesus. He didn't call the elders of the global church because there is not an elder of the global church. So, but there are people who uh, I believe usually after pastoring for almost 30 years, people who have been hurt or people who are just independent and they don't like to submit to anybody. Those are the people who, believe, who belong to this nomadic traveling part of the body of Christ. Well, so, let me ask you this. Can that work in any other industry on the planet? Does it work in the NFL? I think I'll play for the Eagles this week. Next week, I'll go to the New York Giants and just kind of slip into their locker room, prophesy and tell them what they're doing wrong, right? Go over here to the Chargers and stay here as long as we're winning. But as soon as somebody tells me what position I have to play, I'm going to go here to Seattle Seahawks. It doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work in the military either, does it? 
right? Nah, I think I'll be part of this platoon, and then I think I'll jump over here and do this one next week. I'm going to be in the Navy this week, but next week I'm going to go into the Marines and just jump around. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in business either. And it certainly doesn't work in a marriage. You can't just jump around. It absolutely does not work. The truth is, every, it, we have to be unified on the macro level and the micro level. It's easy to be part of the macro because you're not held accountable by anybody into anything. You can just be squirrely and get away with it. But when you are committed at a local level and you're committed to a place of business, a family, a marriage, a church, then there's accountability. And the the pressure's on. And people speak the truth in love. And you can't be easily offended. Remember, be humble and patient and bearing with one another in love. You don't need to be humble, patient, and bearing with one another in love if you're not committed to a local body of believers. You just float around and be an idiot, and nobody can hold you accountable, and you never grow up, and you stay immature the rest of your life, and never fulfill God's purpose for your life. End of sermon. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming. So that's one chunk. Here's the other chunk. The attitude and aptitude of leaders and followers, and I've got to go quickly. Look at the attitude of leadership first, because this is very important. The leaders are held the most responsible to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because we are examples to the flock. We're leading the team. And look at Paul's example. Therefore, he says, watch. And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. With tears. Paul loved the church. Leaders need to love the church. Leaders are to equip God's people, not control them. They are to mature them, not manipulate them. And the vast majority of pastors I know are like this. They love, love, love the church. But not all pastors are that way. There are leaders in the body of Christ that use God's people. And they fleece the flock. And it's a shame. The book of Ezekiel, I don't have time to go there. But God writes in Ezekiel chapter 34 to the shepherds of Israel and says, Woe to you, for you have not fed the sheep, you fed yourselves. You have not protected them. You've not healed the sick. You've not gone after those who have gone astray. And now the sheep are scattered because they don't have a shepherd who cares about them. So you're out. I want to apologize to you on behalf of the clergy and the leadership of whatever church you've been in where you've been hurt. Maybe it's this church. And I want to ask you to forgive us for hurting you. But let me tell you something about the body. The body bites. Deep nips. You know, I read a book and I was walking by Barnes and Nobles and I saw this book called uh, Have You Been Spiritually Abused? So I picked it up and it was a hundred, the book opens with a hundred questions about has this happened to you? And it's for the body. So I read down about 50 of them because then it's just this, after a while it's just kind of not, you know, ad nauseum I identified with almost every one of them you see we're just imperfect people we're going to hurt each other but that's why the church needs to be the best at forgiveness than any organization on the planet that's why God says forgive one another just as Christ Jesus has forgiven you right 
That's how we are to do it, is we are to love each other, forgive each other. And then you have the aptitude of the leadership, which is to lead, feed, care, and prayer. We're called overseers to the body. We oversee. We don't control. We cover. We protect. We provide. Lead, feed, care, and prayer. All right, what about the attitude of the body? Now, this is what's going to get really fun, and um, you're going to wish I didn't have enough time to read this scripture. But this is for you. This is the fun part for the body. Ready? The attitude of the body. Obey your spiritual leaders. Everybody loves that first word, obey. Don't we love that? Here comes a better one. Leaders and submit to them. Everybody say submit. (laughs) Recognizing their authority over you. Aren't those wonderful, fuzzy, warm words? Obey, submit, recognize their authority over you. For they are keeping watch out for your souls and continually guarding your spiritual welfare as those who will give account of their stewardship of you. I want to be judged by Jesus at how I shepherded you. But I believe you might be judged by Jesus on how you followed the leader. But what's the point of all this? So we can be a powerful church. A church of healing and wisdom and resources and encouragement and hope and power. Let them do this body with joy and not with grief and groans, for that would not benefit you. So just as leaders are not to just as leaders are to equip and not control the body, the body is to encourage and not criticize. We have a new principal at um, Ramona High School. The superintendent quit, resigned. The principal quit halfway through the year or got the left-footed fellowship kind of like scooted out the door. We have a new principal in. You know, it's just amazing to me. And again, this is not like, um, I'm not teaching this for the purpose of anyone to feel sorry about us in leadership. It's just, I'm not coming at this from a victimized mentality whatsoever. I'm coming at this from, we're all human and we live in a fallen planet. Let's get this right. Let's love each other. Um, But I've, I've, I've... I hear people criticizing leadership all the time. I'll sit in Starbucks and hear a couple over here just destroying, uh, you know, someone, their boss at work. This I hear teenagers just about teachers at school. Or I was in the car the other day with a couple of athletes, and they're going about the coach. Um, I've, heard, I've been to Starbucks, and I hear people doing that about their pastor, and I'm a pastor listening to this. It's, it's just in us. We don't like when leaders aren't doing it the way we think it should be done. See, submission to authority isn't even tested until your leader is doing it a way you don't think is the best way to do it. And yet you submit and follow anyway with a good attitude and offering your abilities to serve. That's a test of our humility. The test of character and humility is when your leader is doing it a way you don't think is best and yet you have a great attitude and you follow anyway. That's a test of you. The test of the leader is, do you really love the people that you're... So, as a leader, I'm a follower and a leader. I know what it's like to lead and not have people honking for me. And so, we got this uh, email from the new principal at Ramona High School. And I thought to myself, she has got a mess on her hands. She's got a tough road to toe. She needs encouragement. 
So I sent a honk. She sent an email, and I said, hi, I just want to introduce myself. My name is John, and we got six kids. One just graduated from uh, San Diego State. I mean, from, hello, from Ramona High School. And he's, Elliot here is going to UCSD starting next week, right? Two weeks, right? And uh, then I got, and I got, I got, at least I know your name. <laughs> when you got a pile of kids, man, it just gets... Like, who still lives here? Who's in college? Who's in jail? I can't remember. But I just sent her, I just sent her a little honk, and I said, I got five more on the way up, and I just want to know we're here for you, and anyway, we can support you. She sent me an email back really fast, so thank you so much, exclamation point. She needs encouragement, because she's going to get criticized by parents, by students, by faculty. I'm thinking, leadership's tough, man. So, and then you got the aptitude of the body. God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. If you have the gift of speaking, speak as though God himself were speaking through you. If you have the gift of helping others, do it with the strength and energy God supplies. That everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And here's the last, here's the last verse, and this is what my hope is and Mark's hope is and all the leadership's hope is for this church and I believe your hope for this church, your church. We're part of the church globally, but guess what? If this church doesn't work right, it's not going to be good for any, for any of us in this room. Same with every other church on the planet. Every local church, this is where it's real for us. And this scripture can be the, the, the description of our church at the gathering place. Ephesians 3.20 now all glory to God who was able through his mighty power at work within us. This is not an individual verse. This is to the church at Ephesus. This is to a body of believers. So through his mighty power that is at work within us. Now watch this. It's almost like he overpreached it or something. Because it's just too good to be true. To accomplish infinitely more then we dare ask or think. He's saying God can do more in and through us than we can even think. I, I pray some big prayers. He's saying God can do more than the biggest prayers you would dare to pray, even prayers you can't even imagine God can do it. How? How? Through our unity. Now, glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we dare ask or even think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Maybe you've been sidelined. Maybe you sit here in church today, but you're just, you're demotivated. You know, there are the unchurched. Those are those who have not yet come to church. There are the de-churched, those are those who used to be in church, but they have been disenfranchised. Satan has disconnected them through usually offense or through hurt, and they now sit at home, and they're on the sideline. And then there are the anti-church, and the secular world we live in, boy, hating the church is really popular. But then there's Jesus, who is the head of the church. And when you criticize the church, you're criticizing his bride. When you're encouraging the church, you're partnering with Jesus to build up his bride. 
That's what we need to be about. So maybe some of you have been hurt. What do you do? You forgive like the rest of us have to. Maybe you've gotten tired. Take a little break and then ask Jesus where he wants you to jump in again. Maybe you didn't realize that you've been given gifts from Jesus that are so important to the church and that you are to be a part of the success of the church. You have been given gifts by Jesus for the purpose of building up his church. Don't use your talents for the world. Use your talents for the church. Jesus is building his church. The gifts you have were given to you by God for his purposes. And if you don't use them for the church, Satan's like, great, don't have to worry about that person. And the church is weaker. And you miss out on your destiny. And I want to say protect your church. Pray for your church. Love your church like Jesus does. And let him watch. Let's watch him do infinitely more than we can dare ask or even think. I'm going to ask us to do an Etch-A-Sketch shake right now. You know what that is? You know what that is? Right? You got the little Etch-A-Sketches, right? And you draw on them. And the picture just looks like you don't know how to draw. That's sometimes the way it is on the inside of our hearts and our minds toward church. Because people go there. That's the problem with it. There's people there. And so we get scrambled. We have all these offenses like barnacles on our ship or thorns in our palms. It's kind of like awkward and you can't love right. You can't serve right and you're demotivated. Do an And then it, all the pixels fall and I have to clean. Can you do that this morning? The only way you're going to get on Jesus' page, and that's the best page to be on. You are my divine moment. She asked me if she's interrupting my divine moment to say something. Let me say it again. You are my divine moment. You get credit for saying that. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, this seemed like a good place to say this. Um, I want to say one of the big things, you know, when you go through the kind of trial we went through the last year, um, in some of this, you, if you guys read my blog that you've, you've read this, but bear with me, is that if you look for gifts in the trial, they're there. And um, I would like to say one of the biggest gifts that came out of this whole trial was, you know, like he was saying here before, it's funny when I see people that really aspire after positions of leadership because once you get there, which you quickly realize, I think people sometimes picture it as a place of honor and of power. But really what it boils down to is you're the most inconvenienced and the most criticized. Um, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, and after years of doing that, it, it wears on you. It does. And, I, you know, I think going into this right before I was diagnosed with cancer, I probably, no, I definitely was not in a good place with that because it just wears on you after a while. Um, and it's something you know about the position, but it doesn't make it fun. Um, but one, you know, John has shared before about how devastated he was when we prayed and prayed for me to be healed physically. That didn't happen. I ended up having to go through the surgeries and the chemo and all that. But um, one thing I wrote about in my blog was a healing really did take place during this trial because what the Lord brought to the forefront was 
you know, in any position of leadership, you're going to have that always. There's no getting away from it. It's our choice, just like in any situations. You choose to look at and focus on the good or you choose to look and focus on the bad. Um, and through this trial, so many of you, the ones that are not angry or um, upset or the ones who love, you know, people that spoke life and truth and encouragement, you guys were right there and brought food and sent texts and cards mm-hmm. and really was healing for us. Um mm-hmm through that to realize this is the church don't allow a nasty email or something you hear about that was said in a conversation in some group derail your entire week um that you know that's that's going to be there always um you know one of the keys that i've learned in keeping successful relationships in families in church in jobs is and this is on me and it's on every one of us is to choosing choose to believe the best anytime you're faced with a situation we're always going to have disagreements we're always going to have conflict but how are we seeing it are we seeing it through the lens of i believe the best about that person or is it i believe the worst about that person and that's a choice that we have to make every day because when we choose to believe the best then mercy is going to flow out of us grace is going to flow out of us and i like the scripture that talks about the degree that we uh, extend grace to other people is the degree that it's going to be extended back to us. And that is a huge, huge truth because I will tell you I need it from you guys. I need it from my family. I need it from people at school all the time. And I, I try to be conscientious of that um, every day. So what I wanted to say is um, uh, basically, um, you know, if you read my last blog, I talked about being up in Malibu. And I was in a farmer's market, and a complete stranger walked up to me and said, I really like your hair. And I'm like, well, thank you. And he said, um, I said, well, this is from chemo. He goes, you know, I don't know what you think about this, but I want you to know the Holy Spirit wanted me to come tell you that um, you have a powerful story and people need to hear it. And so um, as I was sitting here this morning, so I've, I've decided to be obedient to that. But along the lines of what he's talking about this morning, with regard to the church, um, I think if we just all choose to believe the best in one another, choose to extend grace to the degree that God's extended it back to us and that That's we hope it. it would be extended back to us, it would be really, really hard. You know, it says they'll know we are Christians by our love. And how do they know that? Whenever It's not just the love. It's the love that we get to after we have overcome hurting one another. That's what real love is. When we really walk through that hard place and come out on the other side forgiving and loving one another, that's the love that they know we are Christians by. Woo! Yeah, what she said. Let's pray. Will you bring your own heart to Jesus, the head of the church this morning, just right there where you are? If you've been disappointed or hurt by the church, will you forgive this morning? Just as Christ has forgiven you. If you do, you'll shut the door on the enemy. And you'll begin to be a help and not a hurt. Because hurt people hurt people. It's a new day. It's a new day for you. So, and just, let's take a minute, because we're out of time. But I want to take a minute here. Because this could be your moment of freedom. Any faces or places that rise up in your heart and your mind right now. Holy Spirit, will you reveal the thorns in our cloth this morning? Rocks in our heart. As they come up, let them go. Just free them. Just forgive.
say, you owe me nothing. That's what forgiveness means. You owe me nothing. And now ask the Lord to heal your heart and to make you a blessing. Amen. So tomorrow is a party at the Atora Ranch. We got a huge pool. We have lots of food. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, would love everybody to come up. So, bring a side dish to share or dessert. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is faithful. So visitors, I'd love to meet you. I'll be down here. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to do it. Like you really need to do it. Uh, because there's no way you'll get into heaven by being a good person. It is, you've got to receive his free forgiveness. But you have to come and receive it. He won't force it on you. If you need healing, please come down. The prayer teams will be down here to pray miracle power upon you to receive a miracle from Jesus. Otherwise, let's just fellowship and let's love one another. Amen, church. Have a great week. Christ See you tomorrow. Stone, weak made strong in the same